Hello and welcome to the Iron Drip Podcast, where we lead you through all our... So close, so close, you started so strong. Welcome to the Iron Drip Podcast, where we lead you through everything policy and politics. No. Grant Robertson would be a much bigger threat to Lamingtons than Lamingtons would be a threat to Grant Robertson. Not the slushies! I wonder whether or not anyone ever asked Barack Obama and John Key if they met because they were of similar age. High taxing, big spending, big government. OK, Boomer. For people to get outside and to uh, spread their legs. The people have given us the mandate and we are ready to go to work. Hello and welcome back to the Iron Drip Podcast, your weekly recap of everything policy and politics, where we lead you through our peaks and our pits, interesting bits, and anything that fits from Aotearoa and across the globe. I'm Henry Levitt and I'm joined by Madison Burgess-Smith. Great to be back with you, Henry, for another episode of the Iron Drip Podcast. Now, it is just the two of us today. Jesse, call it as has been well and truly advertised, is underway with the uh, the, the birth of his first child. Mm-hmm. Exciting times. Incredibly exciting times for him. We hope that he will play this podcast uh, in the birthing unit whilst his child enters the world to just ensure that they're across everything that matters from day one. <laughs> Apparently, his wife has actually had a pair of headphones <laughs> over the belly. With the podcast playing on repeat since uh, Jesse jumped on board. Jesse so. is going to have the smartest oh, kid. Unreal. If you think Jesse's smart, this kid's just going to be next level, I reckon. Big brain energy. Hey, <laughs> it has been a big week in politics. Henry, kick us off. What's your peak? My peak of the week is the announcement that Waka Kotahi is going to take over running traffic cameras from the police. And they have some seriously big plans with this. So transport officials have announced that they want to try and quadruple the amount of speed cameras on our roads from about 150 to 800. And they're also, with that, expecting tr- the number of tickets that they give out to go from 1 million to 3 million. They give out a million tickets a year. Yeah. So how, It feels like there's a lot more than 150 speed cameras out there. Are they talking about the permanent those are f- ones? I think those are just fixed. All those sneaky little ones that get me what on the, State Highway what, 2. the vans? The vans, the Toyota Hiaces. They're actually no, no, by no, large v- Volkswagens. V-dubs, they V-dubs. are Volkswagens. And right. Hondas. Yeah. <laughs> and you always spot them I'm from not, a mile away. Like, that's not no, a you don't camper. always spot them from a mile away, Henry, let me tell you <laughs> that. Maybe not in your fast little BMW, but in my big slow-mobile you do. So the government's made it very clear they're going to be returning speed zones back up to what they were beforehand. And that means that overall people will be getting to the places that they want to go faster on average, which is a good thing, you know, cars moving on the road. Then when you combine it with more speed cameras, hopefully you get to see people actually making it to the place they want to go. Because at yep. the end of the day, speed, as we've said in the podcast, speed is a main contributing factor to crashes in New Zealand. 64% of all crashes involved someone speeding. Yeah, exactly. So speed kills and speed cameras disincentivize speeding. So therefore, hopefully the amount of crashes will sort of drop from that. Speed cameras disincentivize speeding where you know there are speed cameras. So you slow down where the speed camera is yeah, and but then once you passed it, like that's me on State Highway 1 at the Tinnakori off-ramp. <laughs> slow down, speed back up. No wrong gorge. Slow down, speed back yeah. up. State Highway 2 between Greytown and Carterton. Slow down, speed back up. Yeah, so they're going to do that. So I think about half of them are going to be in obvious places with big signs saying like speed camera here. Mm. And then the others are going to be after, like, say, blind corners and things like that. Sneaky ones. Which I think is quite a cool way of doing it. I think it. you need more sneaky ones. Yeah. And, and, and when you're going from 150 to 800, that's a lot to keep track of as well. I think one of the most effective punitive measures around speeding happens, by and large, in my experience, and everyone will feel differently, is is the, the plains of the central plateau. Like, I'm talking that, that stretch from, like, Martin to Waiuru, where mm-hmm. there are always police there. And you know there are always going to be police there. You just don't know where they are. Yeah. So I think what is far more effective than the stationary ones is the ones that could be anywhere at any time because you're trying to change behaviour en masse 
not behaviour at different points in someone's journey. Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a great point. I even see it like everyone knows that there's going to be two policemen on the desert road, yeah. so you always slow down because you know they're going to be there. Three million tickets as well. Is this how we're filling the fiscal hole? Yeah, potentially. They they have said it's not about revenue, but it's always yeah, it's about always revenue. about revenue. I'd I'd hate to know what the average speed ticket is in times by three million. Uh, Eighty dollars. Eighty dollars. Is that the average? That seems like the lower end, though. Yeah, but the, the, the most people do end up. Just with those like five, ten over, whatever it is. Yeah. Mm, interesting. I think they also need to return to uh, a stronger marketing campaigns around public holidays where they lower the tolerance. The tolerance, yeah. Because I, I didn't actually see many of those ads out over summer, but the previous summer, they were everywhere. They were everywhere. And we know that the darkest times on our roads are always in and around public holidays. A, mm-hmm. because obviously more people on the roads, but B, because people are impatient and they're trying to get to where they want to be fast. Yeah, I am very aware that there will always be idiots out there on the road, though. And those top percentile of people who are going stupid speeds, overtake around blind corners, so you just can't win with that. So, that's mine. What's your pick of the week? My pick of the week is the retirement of Grant Robertson. Now, not because I didn't like the guy. I thought the guy was great, you know, local MP for Wellington, Mm -hmm. worked really hard, Jacinda Ardern's best friend, and turns (laughs) out Chris Hipkins' best friend as well. Uh, Everyone's been talking about how he's their best friend. I'm interested to see whose friendship bracelet he's wearing. (laughs) But he has stepped down um, from the Labour Party, from the role of the finance opposition spokesperson, to go and be the Vice-Chancellor at uh, Otago University. This was a poorly kept secret. This had been doing the rounds in Wellington for a little while. And, I mean, the writing was on the wall. Last election, he says that he's going to go list only. List only means one (laughs) of two things. I want to be the Speaker of the House or I'm quitting. Or I'm gone. I'm I'm retiring. That's it. So he's out of there. And look, tough day for a lot of people within inside the Labour Party uh, yeah. caucus. He has been an absolute institution for some time now. It won't come as a surprise to any of you that Jacinda and Grant have been two of my best friends, not just at work, but in my life. Um, and so uh, having had them both recently depart um, has not been easy. I think everybody in this place has to make a judgment whether they still have more fight left in them or whether they're ready to move on to something else. The reason I've picked this peak is not because he's leaving, but it's because of who's coming in to fill his shoes. Mrs Edmonds. Edmonds. Nice. She's going to be fantastic. Former tax lawyer, a mother of eight from Porirua. There's actually quite a few politicians out there with big families. Big families. Because yeah. they, they know how to serve people. Know they know how, how to how work. To, they know how to work. They know they how to hate sleeping. They hate sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> And look, this is super exciting because it just starts to show the renewal, the refresh. Which Labour needs at the moment, which drastically. Which desperately needs at the moment. Yeah. You know, people need to feel, you know, that there's a new cast of characters on the scene. They're energetic, they're enthusiastic, and they're ready to hold this government to account. Yet to be seen. I mean, I, I, I can't name a time where I've, you know, watched a speech by Barbara Edmonds in the House and be like, oh, she's going to be a great debater, you know. She's going to be the person to go up against Nicola Willis. But it's super exciting to just see that fresh layer of talent come through. Mm-hmm. How long Hipkins will stay around for, obviously still a really big question. Who fills his shoes? Are we getting Barbara Edmonds ready to Does take? Does she step up again just yeah. like that? Oh, Who knows? Know. Is it Kieran McAnulty, the boy from Wairarapa mm-hmm. in the, you know, the shitty 2004 Toyota Hilux? Who could it be? What we do know is that the retiring of a couple of others as well, Andrew Little we saw go at the end of last year, there's probably a few more to come, maybe yep. David Parker. It gives the opportunity for the Labour Party to really rebrand. And the way that the National Party had to as well, you know, when we started to see Christopher Bishop and Nicola Willis come up through the ranks, mm-hmm. you have to. You have to shed your skin from time to time, revitalise the party, and you often have to do that in quite large waves of people. And it's interesting how it actually doesn't take long for them to feel established once that wave comes through. 
you build a quite a bit of trust with the new people yep. in there. They become very familiar. They're on the media a lot. You see them in person and they're very cool. It's important to note, John Key polled at his highest when the average New Zealander could name six members of the National Party. <laughs> Isn't that interesting though? Yep. That whole idea of being seen as a strong team that people know. So a really big job for Christopher Hipkins is going to be getting Barbara Edmonds out there as, as aggressively as possible in the same way that we have seen Luxon do it. Luxon, similar to how Ardern first started. Remember when Ardern would do a press conference? She always had another minister standing beside her. It's giving people exposure, and that's what Luxon's starting to do. You know, big announcement last week, Louise Upston to the side, has had a couple with uh, Dr. Shane Reddy recently, mm-hmm. getting other Simeon's people. always up there as well. S- yep, Simeon, Simeon often looks like, you know, Luxon's just about to drop him off at school after I he's bet, finished. Yeah, big, <laughs> biggest off-to-school vibes, eh? <laughs> <laughs> but it's really important that, you know, New Zealand starts to learn who the next Labour Party is, and look, the sooner that the Labour Party can get on with revitalising the team, the better. Yep, and I think Edmonds must be up there for the pick because like she entered parliament in 2020 and she was obviously seen as a very reliable set of hands because she was essentially handed all the ministerial portfolios when those ministers were crashing and burning mm. like Nash and Kerry Allen. Mm. And it's also cool because she'll be the first female to have the finance portfolio for the Labour Party ever. I did not know that. Yeah, Kerry cool Lillard. fact. Eh? Local um, office feminist. <laughs> I've learned something today. And it's obviously like in the right place with her coming from that sort of tax background as well. Because it's often surprising how many finance spokespeople don't actually have that finance <laughs> or tax zero background. Zero financial background. Yeah. No. So excited to see how she lands. Genuinely hope that she does really well because, hey, Nicola Willis is probably the toughest person in the debating chamber to be yep. up against at the moment. 100%. She's on fire. Mm-hmm. Henry, pit of the week. My pit of the week is actually another global one, and that is the death of Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny. Sympathetic to the cause, are you? Yeah, I am. Very passionate about this. I just finished actually a book by Bill Browder, who's a very anti-Russia finance man. He uh, created the Medginsky Act. Have you you heard of that? No. no. Oh, so it's all about how... Giving you a real blank look. Russians who uh, violate human rights, they can get banned for coming to different countries, their assets get frozen, all that. So New Zealand's got it in place as well. Very interesting. Yeah, so I just finished this. I was on the last chapter, and it came out the other day that... Yeah, Navalny had died, which was pretty sad died? because... Is died the right word to use? Uh, he's, yeah, maybe not. No one really knows what's happened to him, but he's gone off the face of the earth. Is it natural circumstances like they're saying? Is it murder? I'm not too sure. Anyway, we know that he was the man up against Putin. He was very vocal. He was probably Putin's greatest critic in the, in the last decade. And he'd even actually been poisoned about five years ago, which I thought yes, was interesting. That was and quite he, a famous one. Yeah, and he came back home to Russia because that's often what those leaders of the opposition do. They like they know that it's not safe for them there, but then they still go back because they're fighting for the cause. And he got arrested straight away and charged for like four decades worth of crime. Apparently, Treasonous crime. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, it's a shame he because he got poisoned in London. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, overseas. Right. Yeah, yeah, which is by, often the case. By actually, that interesting, like operative unit that the Russian uh, FSB government, is yeah, it? They yeah. never talk about, but they're essentially assassins. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it's like something out of a movie. Yeah, it is out of a movie. It's like a James Bond sort of theme going on, isn't it? And it's hard to actually think this is real life going on. But yeah, it's sad. I guess he's just another on the list of outspoken critics of uh, Putin who are now dead. Be careful, you could end up on that list before yeah. you know it. Uh, I was actually having second thoughts walking into the <laughs> podcast room today. Who knows who listens to this? AI, that they probably pick up on everything like yep. this now. No, so, no, yep. no. Henry Scary. Levitt, local supporter of <laughs> safer speed limits. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, my, my main issue with Navalny um, not being there anymore is that he was one of the few platforms that the anti-Kremlin sort of organisation and people had. And with him gone, 
Like, who's going to speak out against it? Yeah. I mean, the interesting part here, right, is that they're not releasing his body. So yeah. he was... Which is usually the case with circumstances Totally. Like so he'd been incarcerated in, like, a very northern Arctic, yeah, Arctic. Uh, prison. Again, still very James Bond. And his widower has obviously also come out and said, look, just because he's gone, please don't, you know, let this cause fall by the wayside. But the stuff, his mum, oh, out there in the cold, so pulling sad. at the heartstrings. Yeah, on that platform note again, with him being gone, then you also have people out there who are making it easier for Russia to have a platform to speak and so produce their propaganda that they always do. Mm. Uh, in terms of, like, say, X, it's really unregulated, so that's a huge... Um, platform now as well as the likes of Tucker Carlson going yeah, over the there. Yeah, the Tucker Carlson interview as well. Yep. Super unhelpful. Mm-hmm. The Tucker Carlson interview reminds me of that um, do you remember that movie made about North Korea? Oh, um, yeah, that got banned on got release banned. and it just got like openly sourced anyone to watch. Yeah, um, it was hilarious. James Franco. The interview. James the interview. Franco, the interview. Yeah. And, James Franco, and Seth Rogen, was yeah, it? Yeah, Seth Rogen and they pretend to go interview <laughs> Xi Jinping. Oh no, Kim Jong-un. That's what Tucker Carlson reminds me of. He's not a real commentator. <laughs> yeah, it's too good. That's a good, good comparison there. Well, my pit of the week is actually sanctions back home, and it is really how the debate around um, the beneficiary sanctions have played out over the last week. Minister Upston has written to the Ministry of Social Development, setting out our government's expectations that all benefit sanctions are applied to people who refuse to comply with their obligations to prepare for and look for work. MSD will be required to report back regularly to the government on its use of sanctions so that we can be sure that they are working as part of the tools we need to help move people off welfare and into work. Mm, huge in the media at the moment. God, it's every second headline. Well, it is, and, and I, that is actually my pit of the week. My, my pit isn't the sanctions, believe it or not, despite <laughs> you know, some of my views, personal <laughs> views about it. My pit is actually the way that it's been treated. What the government are doing here are enforcing rules around those who are on job seeker benefits that are already in place. And it's mainly focused on those who are probably able to get off the job seeker benefit and into a job as you're supposed to on that benefit. Totally. So the job seeker benefit has one requirement. You need to be looking for a job. And what we're learning by the rising number of people who are on it is that clearly people aren't doing that. So the National Party campaigned really, really hard on this. And if you're one of those people who comes out and says that it's totally unfair that you'd put sanctions, remember 38% of people chose to party vote for the National Party. Over half of New Zealand chose to vote for either them, ACT and New Zealand First. And those were all voters who believed in this. Yeah, and we knew that that was going to be a policy that would be coming out. They made that very clear. This is not like smoke-free, and yet the media is treating it like, you know, this has been completely sprung on the New Zealand public which it just hasn't. So what we're going to see is the return to sanctions for those who are on benefits to help them get back into work. Now, the benefit is meant to be a safety net. It's meant to be there to catch you when you're down. It is not supposed to be something that you can live off for your entire life. And what we're learning, as is the case with a lot of public policy, often it takes both a carrot and a stick approach to get people back into work. Yeah, for sure. So the sanctions that have always been in place... Include, if you fail to attend an interview, your benefit may be sanctioned. If you don't complete pre-employment checks, so getting a CV sorted, it may be sanctioned. If you just actively choose not to accept the work that's coming up to you from the work and income or or regularly just turning down offers, your benefit will be sanctioned. Did, did you see the stories over the past few years of people who are obviously going to interviews, uh, looking for jobs apparently to try to check those boxes mm. so they can stay on it, but then they're turning up to interviews in pyjamas and things like that? 
Obviously, they don't want to get off the job so you can be in for this, trying to keep it going. I do have to disagree with you. Like, I believe, and this is my, my personal view, no New Zealander actively wants to be on a benefit. I don't know about that. I don't. I don't. And, and look, there are, there are a number of contributing circumstances. These people are already living in stigmatised areas. There's a lot of gang mentality present. Poverty's really normal. Drugs are an everyday thing. These things make it harder for people to get off the benefit. But I think if you ask any rational person... They want to be in meaningful employment. And what this does is this provides a lot of people with a bit more of a push. So in 2017, when National were last in government, 60,000 people had their benefits sanctioned based on these requirements that were already in place. By last year, under the Labor government, that was only 25,000 people. And during that time, the number of people on a benefit for more than a year has risen from 40,000 people to 70,000 people. They are going to do a check-in at the six-month period with people who are still sitting on a job seekers benefit to say, what's going on here? And that'll be about 2,500 checks a year that they will conduct across New Zealand to work actively with those people to get them into work. And, and then if they're not actively seeking to get into work or they're not actually putting their best foot forward, do you think they'll then be able to sanction those people easily or is that going to be quite hard to do? No, it will be easy to sanction people. Like I said, 2017, 60,000, 60, mm. over 60,000 people actually received some form of sanction. We know that there are a number of reasons why people enjoy going to work. In fact, like money doesn't even come in the top 10. You know, the ability to form relationships, the ability to be creative, to have Provide value. To provide value, right? Feel important. And the the challenge with our long-term beneficiaries is a lot of these people have never had jobs to begin with. Yeah, exactly. And that's what's interesting because approximately 9.5% of all young New Zealanders aged between about 16 and 24 are receiving a main benefit and from about June. So those are people who have never seen the value of work. So yep. I get what you're saying in terms and of I some people are happy to be on the benefit. They're yep. not. They just have never known anything else. And you ask anyone who's gone on to the job seeker after being in employment, no one actually wants to stay there. But if you haven't been on the other side of the fence, then I guess it is difficult to know what it feels like and you don't know anything else. Exactly. And what we know is if you're on the job seeker benefit for longer than three months, you're likely to be on it for three years. Yeah. Right? So the job seeker works when it is there as a safety net to catch people when they fall out of employment. But once you end up in long-term dependency, that is when it is really, really hard for some of New Zealand's most underprivileged families to thrive. So these sanctions aren't all the media are hyping them up to be. They're not about solo mums. They're not about disabled people or pensioners or student allowance, which, newsflash, those people are all beneficiaries too. It's about ensuring that people who are on the job seeker benefits are doing what the label describes, seeking jobs. Exactly. So if you aren't able to work, if you have a genuine reason why you can't go out there and have a job, then you'll still be fine. It's just as people who can yeah, we got you. should. We being the taxpayer. Because it could be any one of us, any day. Exactly. And on that aspirational note, Henry, kick us off. What are your hot or nots? Hot or not, cameras on fishing boats. Totally hot. Keep our fisheries sustainable, transparent, and by and large, did you know that sometimes they will put observers, basically like auditors, which is essentially going to do the role of these cameras on boats, and these people regularly go missing. I wonder why. Not in New Zealand, but overseas. (coughs) Russia. (laughs) (laughs) They get disappeared. (laughs) Pseudoephrogen, back in stores 2025. For anyone who's had a cold, you know that's what you need. You don't get sick though, do you? So it doesn't really matter for you. No, I'm just I'm just better than everyone here. Yeah, exactly. But you're thinking about your colleague, myself, yeah, exactly. who always gets sick. You are a poorly allergy child. <laughs> Aaron Gate winning the Hellberg Award for sport and then smashing a cycling record the following day. 
No idea who that is. No idea. Pick an athlete. Commonwealth Game, Olympics. No, means nothing to me. Come on. You come from passing off the home of cycling New Zealand. No idea. Couldn't care less. Dead to me. Come on. All right. Hate incidents reported to police up 12%. Oh, not, not good. That's not what we want here. Here's a question for you. Who do you think reports more hate crimes against their community than any other demographic? What demographic? Mm, rainbow? Wrong. Only 9.7% are against people on the basis of sexual orientation. A third, though, against Asian and Indian people. Is that just due to population they've got here, maybe? No, it's just people are assholes. Yeah, true. Chris of Luxon, State of the Nation speech. Hot. I like it. Good point. did well. If you, just, if you actually watch it and don't just look at headlines, I thought it was good. And last one for me, quitting your job to become the chief executive of a university on double the pay and half the stress. Big hot. Good man. Good running. Wishing Grant Robertson all the best in his future endeavours. Well, listeners, if it's just me on the podcast next week, you'll know that Jesse's had a baby and Henry's been disappeared. <laughs> Until then, we'll, we'll see, see you next week. week.